Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. It is Crosstown Shootout Week and we are here to get you guys ready uh, for the Crosstown Shootout. Um, so I'm Brian from BannersOnThePartway.com and I am joined uh, currently by Brad. Um, Brad, uh, how is life in the closet? <laughs> uh, it's good. I have less closet space than normal because Christmas is coming and the kids know not to come in here. Because uh, it's where all their Christmas presents are. So I had to kind of empty some of the closet out into my room. But I have my back up against just a box of presents of some sort. And there's presents in front of me. And I kind of feel like a kid who cheated on Christmas and has already opened his stuff. And there's some pretty good presents in here. I won't say what they are because my kids are going to listen to this. But I'll get some use out of some of this stuff. Wow. Your kids listen to this? They do. Wow. Okay. Make, well, makes uh, up for our parents not listening to it. I was going to say, shout out to Brad's kids. Uh, finally, some support from within this family. Um, it's about time my brilliance is recognized. Uh, but anyway, uh, Xavier uh, was in action this week, um, and uh, so so <laughs> in the midweek game, uh, Xavier played Southeast Louisiana. Southeastern Louisiana, whatever it's called. It's the worst team Xavier's going to play this year. Um, depending on if Georgetown continues on their current. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was Xavier 95, Southeastern Louisiana 63. I don't know that there's a, a reason to dwell on this game for all that long. Um, I, I don't know that we really learned all that much uh, about Xavier's main cast this game. Um, maybe who stood out among players who had not um, previously, you know, gotten as much playing time or had kind of fallen down the pecking order a little bit in Portland um, that maybe <clears throat> performed well against Southeastern Louisiana. Well, it was good to see Deontay Miles finally make a free throw. Um and when he's effective on offense, he'll get a lot more time. So he scored seven points, and he played 14 minutes. Uh, that's how it's going to go for Deontay. If he can be just, I mean, mediocre on the offensive end, his defense will get him out there. Um, I thought Cam Kraft really stood out as well. He's aggressive with the ball every time he gets it. He's aggressive trying to get on the glass. He's aggressive when he tries to pass the ball, which it doesn't always pan out real well for him. But um, I thought he had a good showing in that game, in a game where somebody off the bench had to have a good showing um a shout out to either bradley colbert or colbert i'll be honest i don't know how he says his last name but he did exactly what a walk-on should do in garbage time which was get out there and start jacking three-pointers uh he missed one the ball rotated back around to him again i have no idea why another walk-on passed him the ball shoot the ball man uh but bradley wasn't gonna let this chance pass him by again he missed again but good for him for getting those shots up um i also liked Brody Roberry from Southeast Louisiana, because uh, I think somebody called him Big Deli on Twitter. <laughs> he was a uh, a hefty lad, but good on him, man. He's playing Division One basketball. He's probably better than anybody we've ever played with. So uh, maybe try a little cardio, Brody. But good for you, buddy. Yeah, the announcers pronounced the the name Colbert, um, but you know. Who knows if they had done their homework. Um, I did appreciate his mullet, though. Um, boy, is that, boy, is that, th I mean, that is a totally intentional mullet, too. He didn't, like, ease into it. It's not like a, a tentative mullet. Um, he walked into a barber shop somewhere, slammed his credit card on the counter and said, give me a mullet. And uh, they did. And that is, listen, that's how you have to, that's how you have to be if you're going to wear a mullet. You can't, you know, a mullet is a fickle mistress, and, and you have to dominate <laughs> the mullet. You can't let the mullet dominate you, and uh, Brad, however you pronounce his last name, has certainly done that. So um, much credit to him. Um, and you're in college, so, like, uh, on a partial level, it doesn't necessarily matter if you have a mullet or not. Now, I think I would probably... Uh, not not be received well in my job if I had a mullet, but um, good for you, Brad. 
Um, anyway, so that brings us to um, on Saturday, kind of the more <laughs> more important game, um, according to some, some including me. Um, Xavier eighty four, West Virginia seventy four. Uh, so we have a, a surprise guest here. Um, it's Bob Huggins' primary care physician. No, I'm kidding. It's Braden. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Hogan's primary care physician does not exist. Um, uh, well, Braden, I mean, you might be. Uh, it doesn't look like he's received good medical advice. But anyway, um, how big uh, How big of a win? Well, maybe not uh, resume-wise, because we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, just in terms of momentum and in terms of finally um, getting a win against a good team, how, how big uh, of, a, of a victory was that for Xavier against West Virginia? It was huge, honestly. Um, <clears throat> you know, like you said, X has been in tight games, not been able to get him over the line. The defense was still an issue. They gave up 1.04 points per possession in this one. But I thought the thing that they showed is that they could lock down when they needed to. Uh, I don't have the stat offhand, but towards the end of that West Virginia game, they finally started getting the stops they needed to pull away, and that's what good teams do. Um Weirdly enough, I didn't think this was going to be the case going into the season, but the offense is very good. So, you know, West Virginia is a good defensive team, and we were still able to get ours against them. Only took 12 threes, but the most impressive thing I thought, we got to the line 30 times. Sule Boom was a big part of that. He had a great game. He went for 23. Um, not to kind of toot my own horn, but I know on our preview podcast, we were saying who's going to be the go-to guy, and I said Sule Boom. And sure enough, he did that in this game. And we we're finally able to get that big win, which honestly, I think it could have been discouraging for the players before to be in so many tight games with top competition and just not be able to get it. So I think this is going to be a big momentum boost going forward. Yeah, to dovetail off that, I think Coach Miller said basically the same thing that, you know, the team, you can really start to get down on yourself and come apart when you can't get over the hump and actually win a big game. Um, and the stats you're looking for is that in the last eight minutes and 23 seconds, Xavier allowed nine points. Um, prior to that, they allowed 65. So the defense before that was terrible. Um, I said it wouldn't have beaten a good AAU team. Uh, I can't figure out why they can't consistently play defense, especially since they've shown they can inconsistently play defense. But, hey, for that 823, they only allowed nine, got the win. Really big win. Okay, um, so with all that kind of in um, in context, the, the net rankings came out this weekend. Uh, Xavier was 48th when they debuted um, on Monday. Uh, then having not played any games, uh, as we sit here on Wednesday night, Xavier is up to 43rd. So Tuesday, huge day for Xavier. Apparently they looked very good in practice. The net... Um, <laughs> Did, did notice that. I guess my only question is, how high would Xavier be had they lost that West Virginia game and gotten yet another good loss? Uh, that's not my question. Um, I mean, is that is that a good launching pad for Xavier, um, given what we've seen in the net for the, the rest of the – Xavier is the third highest net in, in the Big East right now. Um, <clears throat> so – is this is 43rd good? Is it bad? Is there a reason to be concerned um, because of Xavier's net number? I think if we're looking to stay positive, we probably want to stay away from the net. Uh, we can get into what that West Virginia win is going to mean for the resume. But essentially, if you want a sure thing bid to the NCAA tournament, you need to be above 36th in the net. Um, anything lower than that, and you're definitely taking your chances. And that that line obviously fluctuates from year to year, but that's where you're looking like you want to be. Xavier's close to that, but they've got some work to do resume-wise and involving the net. Okay, so um, looking around the, the um, college basketball landscape here, um, speaking of the net, Louisville is 361st. Uh, Braden, is that good? Oh, I'm, that's a toughie, but I'm I'm gonna lean towards no. I mean, Brad said that X is is kind of a solid platform. You can kind of build off that. Um, eh, man, that's a toughie, but I'm I'm gonna say that's probably a bad sign for their season, as if we didn't already see enough of those. 
Yeah. So um, the question becomes, uh, did Chris Mack overachieve at Louisville? And, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he did. Um, but anyway, Sam Houston is a seventh, which good for Sam. Um, you know, I thought he died, but uh, apparently he is uh, playing college basketball and he's quite good. So I've not caught any of his games. Uh, but, you know, it's probably one of those late night things. I got work. You know, I, I can't stay up as late as I used to. But um, way to go, uh, Sam Houston. Uh, so um, and then a uh, New Mexico State player, um, not to delve back into uh, gun violence. Joel is not on this podcast. So, um, Brad, I mean, this is just a bad situation all around. Um, he was. Uh, Mike Peake, he was he was in a fatal shooting. Uh, the coaches <laughs> obstructed the investigation, hid the gun. Um, I mean, this is just bad all around. I, I don't know really how much more we want to expound on that, other than to say, obviously, um, you know, it, it's yet another tr- tragedy, um, senseless tragedy, and and it seems like the well doesn't seem like the New Mexico state uh, coaching staff has not uh, necessarily handled that well. Uh, No, no, they haven't. This one started out as so many things start out in college um, with a young man pursuing a young lady. Um, I know that's hard for you guys who've both been in college to believe, but weirdly guys late at night tend to make bad decisions when young ladies are involved. Um, If we have any young listeners take that down. So Mike peak was texted by, a young lady who wanted to beat him to do young man and young lady things in her dorm room. It was possibly a setup. Somebody uh, jumped him. He returned fire on people who had a baseball bat and a gun. Um, And unfortunately a a dude was killed during that. He met three of his teammates, threw a bunch of stuff in the trunk of their car, and then they took off. Then the police showed up. Peek did stay around and say, yeah, I shot a guy, but weirdly I don't know where the gun has gone since this thing that just happened. Uh, the teammates somehow got the gun back onto the team bus, but the only way they could do that was by letting the coaching staff know, as I understand things. Uh, and the coaching staff was like, well, huh. So the game got canceled and they left town. The police realized that something was amiss here. They ended up stopping the New Mexico State team bus out on the freeway. It turned into a whole thing. They found the gun. The coaches were like, whoa, that's crazy. Who would have even thought there was a gun on here? And they're like, well, like everybody thought there was a gun on here. That's what the whole problem is. Uh, The DA is now looking into charges against New Mexico State's coaches. uh, More for the obstruction than peak. I think he's going to end up being found to have acted in self-defense. He legitimately, apparently, as it turns out, was just out doing his thing um but it's a whole big mess uh the ad from new mexico state said they're going to look into the conduct of the coaches um i'd say that's probably a good idea before we end up with another carlton dotson situation on our hands but just just wild i know we've ragged on gun violence before but this is just a much weirder situation than that it's young men make really bad decisions uh like i said before You kind of hope the adults in their lives will tell them, hey, that's one bad decision. Let's not compound it by making more. But instead, these guys were like, let's help you make some more bad decisions. And uh, things have not gone well since then. Just a bizarre story. Okay. Um, And then a quick look at what New Mexico State's former coach, Chris Jans, is doing at Mississippi State. Uh, They're really, really good this year. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and then um, preseason number one, UNC, uh, has fallen out of the AP poll. It's the fastest a preseason number one has ever fallen out of the AP poll. Um, Braden, on what level is that funny? Uh, I'd say it's a seismic level. I'm not a scientist, but I know that has to do with earthquakes, and I've been laughing a whole lot, and uh, I've felt some shifting in my bedroom when I keep laughing at how badly the Tar Heels have fallen off in the AP poll. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's what Mike Peake was out looking for, wasn't it? Some shifting in his bedroom. 
I'm not. <laughs> All right, we're gonna oh, Lord. move on from that line of joking. Um, so Brad, uh, kind of what does the West Virginia me win mean for Xavier's resume? Uh, we kind of skirted that issue. Um, is that gonna end up a Q1, Q2 win? It should end up a Q1 unless uh, West Virginia falls apart this year. I don't think they will. They're a pretty decent team. Um, when they're not running up against defenses as stout as Xavier's 170-something defense in the nation, uh, they'll be just fine. Actually, 140th. Wow, I really overstated that. Xavier really needed to get a Q1 win. Um, we talked about why good losses aren't actually good. Uh, it's kind of a misnomer. I think most people agree with us on that, but Xavier needed that win because basically what the net wants you to do is either aggregate a whole bunch of not great wins or do decently well in Q1. What you can't do is not really aggregate a ton of not great wins and get whacked around in the Q1. If you don't come at least close to 500, or come below 500 in that, but also crushed all the three and fours that you play, uh, you're in trouble. So Xavier needed to start adding some Q1 wins. Ultimately, the reason this game was so important is because I don't really think there's any way of beating around the bush, bush on this. The Big East isn't as good this year. Uh, Xavier's not going to have a stack of Q1 and Q2 games coming up in the Big East. They're going to have some trap games in there and they're not going to have the opportunities for the high level wins that are usually out there. And those opportunities are going to be really tough. I mean, UConn looks like a final four contender at this point. Creighton is good. Um, I do think that they're going to be beatable, but Xavier needs to start stacking up those quality wins. Uh, UC is a trap game this year. If this were any other team, there'd be no reason that we would be looking forward to this Saturday. Honestly, um, we would be saying, here comes another team somewhere along the lines of, you know, I, they're not a Morgan State or a Fairfield or Montana, but Cincinnati's not great. Um, they would be the low end of the Big East this year. So Xavier needed a Q1 win. They got one. That is a big, big win. They've got to avoid the traps, and they've got to find some other places to add uh, Q1 or Q2 wins because those three Q1 losses don't look very good right now. Okay. Um, so kind of looking forward toward the, the Crosstown shootout, and that's kind of where we're going to camp for the rest of our, our podcast here. Um, what has Cincinnati done this year, Braden? Ah, a whole lot of nothing, to be honest with you. Uh, they're currently sitting at six and three. Their three losses, one was to Arizona in a game where they got as hot as I think they'll get all year. Scored 93 points, and it was still never a close game. Uh, Arizona won by eight, but, I mean, they owned them the entire way. They got absolutely punked by Ohio State and then somehow managed to only score 11 points in the second half against Northern Kentucky, which, no disrespect to NKU, but you'd, you'd think UC would be winning that game. Uh, a game that they probably marked down a few years ago as a non-conference resume booster, Louisville, they managed to win. Uh, Louisville's unfortunately 211th in the Ken Palm this year. So if you look at their wins, they have played Chaminade, who's not D1, Cleveland State, Eastern Kentucky, Louisville, NJIT, and Bryant. And the highest ranked team that they've beaten is Bryant at 179th in the country in the Ken Palm. So They've really not impressed so far this year. Uh, they've got a couple a couple dudes that can go off. Landers Nolly had a good game against Arizona, but he's a he's a forty three percent shooter from outside. Um, so he's one that you might want to be looking for. David DeJulius has been at UC for a minute now. He's another guy that can go off. But as a full unit, they've not really impressed this year. They're not defending at a really good level, their offense has been hit and miss. Uh, I mean, they got scalding hot really once this year against good competition. Other than that, they've been pretty mediocre and that's being generous. So if you're looking ahead at it, like Brad said, if this isn't UC in the crosstown shootout, 
you're not looking at this game going, oh man, this is a big game on Saturday. It's just kind of, huh, well, we should go here and take care of business. But it is the Crosstown shootout. It is a big game, and I hope we win by 40. Are there teams you hope Xavier doesn't beat by 40 or what? <laughs> no, I hope they beat Butler by 50. So that, that's the exception to the rule. That's fair. Okay. Um, so we we got quite a few questions this week, as as you would think we would, um, given that this is, you know, the the high holy week of of Xavier basketball. So the first one, um, we're gonna we're gonna get pretty forensic here. How is it possible to score eleven points and a half against NKU? That's from Andrew twenty eight. Brad, um, you would think just by default you would score more than 11 points against Northern Kentucky. Uh, what happened? I, I don't know. <laughs> they scored five in the first 10 minutes, and then they scored six in the second 10 minutes. Uh, so let's give them credit. Uh, they didn't go stone cold at any point in time compared to where they were previously. Uh, they were just wretched the entire second half. I mean, how is it possible you could make three threes and a two? Um, you could make five twos and a free throw would be another way to do it. Um, you could be mediocre at basketball would be a way to do it. Um, I think that if we ran a whole lot of screens and threw the ball to Brian for an entire half against NKU, a given time to get a shot off, I think he could score 11 points against NKU and a half. That'd be a way we could do it. Um, decent lefty stroke from behind the arc. Not really interested in in uh, defense is our podcast host here. Um, other ways you could do it, I think, would be just roll the ball out there with a group of five dudes who are reasonably skilled at basketball would be a way you could score 11 points. Um, I think forfeiting and saying to Northern Kentucky, can you just mark us down for 11 in this half uh, is an interesting way that they could have gone about that and then saved 20 minutes of wear and tear on their legs. Might have been an interesting way to do it. As to how a ostensibly division one basketball team scores 11 points in a half against Northern Kentucky smothering 105th, 195th in the nation defense. I, I have no idea. If you want to hear something really hilarious, and I know you do, they also played Cincinnati Claremont. Cincinnati Claremont scored more than 11 against them in the second half. Uh, Cincinnati yeah. Claremont, you, you may recognize as not being a division one team, Really curious to see what happens when they play Miami Hamilton here on the 18th of December. Uh, the one thing that I will give Northern Kentucky and me in common is that we will have both played Miami Hamilton in college. Uh, I, My money is on Miami Hamilton getting more than 11 points in the second half against NKU, um, which I think then you could say I could have scored more than 11. Though when we played Miami Hamilton, I went for my usual zero. So it's close. Yeah. You didn't want to show them up. A, a gentleman's zero, I believe they called it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, you don't want to be like a tryhard out there. It's no. important important to stay within yourself. Um, we've got one from uh, at Southern Musky from Xavier's side. Who gets the first and hopefully only tech? Is it Fremantle or Miller? Uh, Braden, who you got? Tail of the tape. Uh, I'm taking Fremantle. Dunks over Victor Locke and flexes over him. Day made. I don't care if he gets ejected. He did get ejected last year. <laughs> Dude, run it back. I don't care. So long as he dunks over that big goober, I, I'm going to have a good weekend. I'm going to go. I, I Actually, I think it's going to be Miller because uh, I think that you know, Matt Norlander wrote that article about how Sean Miller has perspective in life now. And uh, it was a really good article um, if you guys haven't had a chance to read it. But, um, you know, immediately after that article came out was the Southeastern Louisiana game where Sean Miller went out and got a technical while Xavier was up 34, I think just to prove that he still could. Um, and so uh, now the eyes of the nation are on him, um, you know, and everybody's going to be expecting the kinder, gentler Sean Miller. I think he's going to throw down a marker here and go, no. Uh, I am still a raving lunatic. I still will get a technical. Um, I'm going to go for it. Um, so I, I like Sean Miller, actually, to be to be the, the person who, who gets Xavier's technical. Um, Brad, uh, 
uh, tie break here? Is it Fremantle? Is it Miller? Are you going off the board? I'm not going to go off the board. I'm going to respect the uh, question that Southern Muskie has asked here. Um, staying within those parameters, you laid out a really compelling case for Sean Miller. I've just got a real Fremantle feeling. Though, unlike Braden, I think he's going to pick it up doing a petulant Zach Fremantle thing. Um, I think he's going to have a very good game, and I've liked the way he's been playing this year. But Lockin is going to score. Fremantle's going to get called for a foul. He's going to stew on that for a while. Then he's going to do something dumb like push him in the back when Lockin's going up for an offensive rebound. He's going to get called for that, and that's all it's going to take to send him off into some sort of New Jersey tirade about how this call wasn't fair. I don't, You guys know how he gets. And he's going to do something like that and get himself teched up. But I think the reason that uh, both of these guys are such a good shout is I can see Miller getting teched up at the same time. Um, uh, you know, I said I wanted to stay in the parameters, but are we really willing to say that both of them won't get technical fouls in this game? What, what if the ref is getting ready to tee up Fremantle and Miller like comes out bodyguard style and takes the tee for him. Like he throws know. himself in front of him. Right. Throws himself in front of the technical, like, no. Uh, for those of you who, who can't see, which is all of you, I was moving in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, you know, this is it. it, it it gave me pause to think I do feel like I put together a strong case for, for Sean Miller, uh, but we'll just have to see Southern Muskie. I mean, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be Jack Mundy <laughs> or somebody, you know, <laughs> Kiki Tandy's going to show an emotion finally. And uh, the ref's going to be like, what? Can't do that. Um, I do think ref, refs are T happy in the Crosstown shootout now uh, because of the fight. Um I do think it takes a lot less to get a technical now in the Crosstown shootout than it does in any other basketball game. Um, just my opinion. Um, so uh, same as the, the past four years, uh, this is a question from uh, Michael Partish. Uh, is the early three-point shooting legit? Um, so, Braden, I mean, Xavier right now ranks as one of the very best three-point shooting teams in the country uh, in terms of percentage. Um, is that something they can keep up? I don't know if they'll keep it at that 43% mark. I do think they will shoot better this year than they have the past few years. Um, I know the start of the past few years, we've been hot to start the season. And that was really, I think, kind of misleading because uh, the, there'd be a few games we'd pop off and hit, you know, 14, 16, 17 threes in a game against some weaker competition. And then we'd go stone cold when it mattered most. And we'd just keep chucking them up. Right now, for this season, we are shooting fewer threes than we did at any point during the steel era, and we're shooting them a lot better. So if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, we're not shooting as many, we're getting better looks. But also, if you just watch the game and you go to that, you know, trusty eye test, you know, you can see not everybody's running up the court and chucking threes. I can see Brad shaking his head. I said that for his benefit. Um, <clears throat> but not everybody's running up stuck in threes after one rotation you know the guys who are good at shooting them are the ones shooting them and uh usually it's off of really good open looks and they're knocking them down and i mean we've seen it in the last few years open looks weren't going down I, maybe it's just the miller magic on the sidelines we're starting to get those shots to fall but i think genuinely this team will continue to be a very good shooting team maybe not third in the country all year but they are going to stay pretty I'd say towards the top in the country at that mark. So what Braden means by the eye test is that the data actually kind of bears that out. Uh, for one, Xavier is 342nd in the nation in three-point attempts to field goal attempts. They don't shoot very many. In uh, their assist to field goal ratio right now is at 66.1%. That's sixth in the nation. So Xavier's getting a lot better shots and taking fewer of them. Um, the ball isn't sticking at all. It's moving in rotation a lot more than it has last couple years. So the guys we want shooting three-pointers are shooting three-pointers, which means Zach Fremantle has only taken three. Uh, just while we were looking, he said third in the nation. I was like, I wonder who's ahead of us. Uh, the team directly ahead of us actually is a team that has been proven to be a great shooting team. It's New Mexico State. And I'm going to leave that joke right there and move on. Good Lord. Wow. 
So just uh, to circle back here, what part of your body do you use to read that precious data? Um, it's my eyes. Oh, huh. curious. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Uh, anyway, uh, we have uh, early early spread. This is from at Chipper626. Early spread is Xavier by six and a half. Do you think we cover um, over Thanksgiving? I did uh, uh, explain gambling spreads to, to Braden because he kept trying to make them uh, complete numbers. And that is not how gambling spreads work. Uh, so, I mean, Brad, do you think Xavier wins uh, this game by um, seven or more? Um, I I think so. I think what Chipper six two six is getting at here basically is should Xavier be able to win this game comfortably? Um, and yes, if you look, there's a couple things that go against Xavier. For one, Cincinnati uh, is seventy first in the Kempom right now. That's not horrible. Um, they haven't played a very good schedule, and they've lost to well two good teams. They've played in also Northern Kentucky. Um. But they thumped the other teams. I mean, they hammered Bryant. They hammered NJIT. They hammered Louisville, which let everyone's doing. Uh, these games that they should be winning, they are winning big. So that makes their computer numbers look decent. And it makes Ken Palm think that Xavier should go in and win by two, where the line's at six and a half. Xavier should win this game. They should win it reasonably comfortably. The reason we're all concerned about it, though, is because it's the Crosstown shootout. It's cliche to say you throw the records out and things like this. And even if you do throw the records out, what does a record really tell you when the other team has played Shamanad? But Xavier's going to have to bear down, fight through a first very intense 10 minutes. I think if Xavier's up five with 10 to play in the first half and can get another couple quick buckets, they should be able to walk this thing to a point where they can win by double digits. You don't want to leave Cincinnati in it because God knows what happens then in a rivalry game. But were I a betting man, which I'm not, um, I would be comfortable playing Xavier in the six and a half. Yeah, the the, the concern, I agree, would be if, if um, Cincinnati's still in it, um, you know, they'll have the home crowd. Uh, they're at fifth third, um, and you wonder if, if that could become a factor if they stick around in the game for a while. But I, I do think that Xavier should be able to uh, win this game by more than more than six and a half points. Um, Braden, I mean, do you think six and a half right on probably? I agree with Brad because I understand gambling to the same extent he does, and I know how spreads work and odds and betting and all that stuff. So $5 down on seven or whatever the heck that means. I don't know. Bet on black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, we've got one from Ethan Detter, um, which is, uh, do you think the Crosstown shootout has lost a little of its competitiveness over the last few years um, when Steele was coaching? Still love the game, but in my opinion, getting the win over UC doesn't feel the same like the same payoff it used to be. Uh, I mean, from a purely factual perspective, it's really not the same payoff it used to be. Um, you look at some of the McCronin teams at C Cincinnati, some of the Bob Huggins teams at Cincinnati, certainly. Those were high-quality wins, um, high-quality wins even when they were at home. And um, right now, Xavier is looking at an away game at Cincinnati that, I mean, they hope will end up Q2 by the end of the year. Um, there's a chance if Cincinnati kind of staggers through the AAC the way they did last year, this ends up as Q3 game at the end of the season. So just as uh, a matter of fact, you know, the win isn't the same payoff as it used to be. But, uh, Brady, you feel like the, the rivalries lost about sense of relationship. Um <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about the spark in your relationship. Do you think the rivalry has lost a little bit of the spark? I don't think so between the two teams. I mean, you've said it. The recent teams from both schools haven't been quite up to the same caliber that they're used to putting out. You know, Xavier's used to making the tournament, making deep runs. UC is used to going to the first round and getting knocked out. 
and they've not been living up to that expectation recently. Uh, but I think between the two schools, the two teams, and really the two fan bases, it is still the game. Uh, regardless of where these two programs end up, we could end up bottom feeders in the Big East, and then once UC goes to the Big 12 and starts getting their brains beaten in, this would still be the game everybody's circling on the calendar because it is a big deal. Um, and, you know, you said UC has had some pretty poor teams recently. They've really dropped off. I think that might be kind of what he's speaking to here. Uh, Steel won three in a row that first John Brandon year. They were meh. The next John Brandon year, they were downright terrible. And then last year, Wes Miller really couldn't get him going in the right direction. And I don't know how much better he's doing this year. So maybe the level of the teams is down. But I, I think the competitiveness and the uh, competitive fire, if you will. I'm throwing all these cliches out there just to try and make Brad mad. Uh, <clears throat> you know, both teams really want it. They want to gut out a win, all that cliche stuff. But, you know, it's still the crosstown shootout to both of them. They don't they don't care where the programs are at for one night. It's that game and they got to win it. OK, um, yeah, they still I mean, they still play each other and in pickup and, and whatnot. And um, I was listening to David DeJulius give his press conference because I was trying to fuel my hatred of David DeJulius. Uh, sad to say it didn't necessarily work, uh, but he was talking about how, you know, they still meet up, UC and Xavier players meet up and, and um, play in uh, um, summer pickup games against each other and stuff. And I think that is is part of what keeps this rivalry stoked the way it is. Um, we've got one from uh, at Jake Stupid, um, but the 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 you sound is made by two uh, zeros. So uh, way to go, Jake. Uh, would you, as the five-star college basketball recruit, I assume you are, uh, that is correct, Jake. Um, I am 35 years old uh, and uh, I, I can't dribble or pass or play defense or rebound or probably shoot anymore. But um, I don't know what to say. Rivals.com loves me. Would you rather play basketball in the Big East or the Big 12? So obviously with Cincinnati moving to the Big 12, uh, the debate comes, which conference would you rather play in? Uh, so Brad, I mean, where would you rather go? Uh, Big East or Big 12? Well, I've still got two years of eligibility left. Um, if any team out there is looking for a 5'10", a uh, 40 year old shooting guard who can't actually shoot. Uh, so I, I was not, I was probably a zero. Star. Do they do minus star recruits? There's, there's just like that big no symbol over me on the recruiting pages. Like not this guy. Anyway, I'd rather play in the big East um, because I'm extremely biased towards the Northeast part of our country. Um, and that's how I am. And I recognize that Creighton is in there as well, but I don't particularly want to play a game in West Virginia or Oklahoma or anywhere in Texas, Kansas seems pretty boring to me. Like, you don't look at these teams. They have great programs. But is your road trip to Manhattan, Kansas, really going to be all that interesting? I, I'd like to say it's probably not. Um, I'd rather play in the MSG uh, when I've got all those eyes on me, you know. Um, I'd rather play in the Big East tournament. It's the marquee tournament. The Big 12 is a better conference. There's no way to argue that right now. The Big East is in a down year. The Big 12 has been great for a couple of years. Ultimately, though, the Big East just has that basketball cachet. And I can go play a game against St. John's. And then I'm in New York as opposed to playing a game against Baylor and then being in Waco, Texas. I don't like you go see the old Branch Davidian compound or like, what do you do after the game? Um, okay, Braden, I, assuming you own a map of America, which direction is Morgantown, West Virginia from, say, Cincinnati, Ohio? It looks uh, southeast. Uh, east. East is the big the big thing there. I, I don't know if Brad knows how maps work. I know how I know how uh, directions work and what Virginia is it called? It's called West Virginia, but I yeah, believe you're, look, West Virginia. you're looking at a map of the U.S. upside down, and you're just like, man, the western seaboard is so weird. Look, Boston. Oh, there's West Virginia right there. Idiot. Uh, 
to get back to the question before we completely derail, I think also it depends on what school you're going to and kind of what vibe you're going to get from the conference. The Big East, you know, top to bottom, pretty competitive. And then there's DePaul and Georgetown. The Big 12, say UC goes to the Big 12 and you're like, oh, I signed with the Bearcats. I'm going to play in the Big 12. And then you get your head kicked in by Kansas and Baylor and all those guys. I mean, you go play as a Jayhawk, you're not going to lose a game at home more than maybe three times in your four-year career if you stick around. So I think there is a pretty big difference in them. But also, like Brad said, I mean, Big East tournament at MSG, that's pretty hard to top. Uh, the other thing that I think, um, I, I think I would rather play Big East because at the Big East schools, basketball is kind of the bread and butter. you know. Um, you look at, you know, like Villanova football um, isn't going to take the headlines away from you uh, on campus. You know, uh, you go to Villanova, that's a basketball school. UConn's a basketball school. Uh, Creighton, Xavier, uh, George, well, kind of Georgetown. <laughs> Historically, <laughs> Georgetown. Uh, you know, in the Big 12, you've got some schools that uh, I don't think are necessarily basketball schools. So um, like Braden said, I think it because, I mean, Kansas, obviously you play at Fog Allen, um, had a, at Iowa State, you could play it at a Hilton. Um, you know, there are some great, great venues in the Big 12, and there are some, some really good basketball schools in Big 12, but I think in the Big East, it's all basketball-first schools, and so I would just say the Big East. Um, I, and to go to Braden's point, those guys, the four-year guys at Kansas have lost twice at home. Twice. I mean, that's crazy. But listen, I mean, it boils down to me, I'm not going to drive west with Bob Huggins to hit rallies. That's just not going to happen. I, you just... Please learn where West Virginia is. I feel like you think it's west of Ohio, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we've got one here from at Mus Musky Commenter. Uh, love how he starts this. Fuel my hate. Uh, you yeah, came I mean, to the right place, buddy. Uh, <laughs> because that is our. We hate each other, and we're brothers. That is our specialty. Anyway, uh, UC has been a collection of people to hate. Huggins, Cronin. Jaron Cumberland, Gary Clark, Lance Stevenson, uh, Damon Flint, Danny Fortson, Kenyon Martin, Ruben Bobby Patterson, Brannon. John Brandon, Kenny Satterfield. Uh, the list goes, actually, he stopped at Lance Stevenson. But Troy Copang, Farad Cobb. You guys remember Farad Cobb? Easy to hate. <laughs> anyway, uh, who do you despise on this UTC team and why? So I've got uh, my personal uh, my personal pick is uh, Victor Locken. Um, the reason why is he's a goober. And also when he decided to come back to Cincinnati last year, uh, as if like, you know, Duke was like, hey, Victor, why don't you come play here? Um Instead of just like making an Instagram post like a normal rational human being would or uh, tweeting the thumbs up emoji like Kiki Tandy did, um, he wrote a 15 stanza poem. Um, and in the final stanza proclaimed that he would be a bear cat till he died, which is weird because I looked it up and he only gets the four years of eligibility as well. So I was like, Victor, what are you talking about, bro? Also, this is way too long of a poem for you to just be like coming back to school next year. Just thought you guys should know um, because really any poem is too long to be saying that. <laughs> um, so that was pretty self-involved in my opinion. Um, and like I said, he's a goober. Um, he's huge. He fouls a ton. Uh, I don't like him. Neither should you. Uh, but uh, who do you guys have? I mean, Micah Adams Woods because of his face, but. Uh, I was actually going to take Victor Locken as well, also exclusively because of his face. Um, I didn't know he wrote a poem because uh, I'm not on social media very much. And when I am, I don't look up UC basketball players. But what I have seen is his face. And boy, oh boy, does it need punched really freaking hard. <laughs> so okay, that's my pick. Well, uh, to research for this question, I did Google some UC basketball players. Uh, when you Google Victor Locken, only one social media account comes up. It's LinkedIn. 
What? <laughs> what the heck? He's going to be uh, a businessman. Yeah, seriously. It's like uh, social media accounts associated with this person, and it was LinkedIn, and I was like, oh, Victor. Uh, so I clicked that, and it for sure is his LinkedIn. So uh, anyway, Brad, who you got? So you guys know that hating is kind of what I do. So I'm going to suggest to Muskie commenter that we take this to the next level of hate. And sure, Victor Locken is a, he's an easy target and you definitely should hate him. I don't want to uh, discredit that by any means. But at some point in time, just pure hating um, doesn't convey enough contempt for a program or most of the city other than one tiny little chunk that I like or anything. And with as bad as Cincinnati is this year, can I suggest you go to the route that you tell Bearcat fans that you pity them? Because if you really, really want to, I about said a word that my kids would yell at me for using. If you really, really want to make someone angry, there is nothing better to do than when they're ranting at you about how much they hate you. Just tell them that you pity them. Yeah, boy, I hope you guys have a good season this year. It's got to be tough being so crappy in the AAC. And when they're telling you about how they've spent the whole week getting ready for this game, you can say things like, yeah, you know, we've had a little bit of time off since West Virginia. That was a big game for us. And we are going to be playing on New Year's Eve because that's a huge thing that our conference does that takes up an entire day of programming on Fox, even though there's some silly American football games going on, too. But, yeah, I know this is a big game for you guys, and I hope you give it your best effort. I really go with condescension and pity. Um, I think are two good ways to lean into the hate and then let the game steer you where it needs to steer you. It's going to take about two minutes before you look at somebody and you're like, man, I freaking hate that guy. So just start it off really looking down on your opponent would be my, my top tip. And then just find somebody who annoys you at the start of the game. Um, I think I'm going to go with Wes Miller to get things started just because I feel like he's kind of bland and, pasty white dude and he just needs somebody to hate him so Wes I'm going to step in and I hate you so I've drawn a conclusion and I've realized how what will make Brad the happiest on this earth uh, it's not seeing his children get married it wasn't seeing the birth of his children it is if Adam Kunkel condescendingly pats Victor Locken on the head after we storm out victorious like oh my gosh. He will flatline on the couch, and we're going to be doing like a two man or three man with Joel podcast the rest of the season. For sure. Oh, that would be, oh man, a condescending pat on the head is almost impossible to top for just perfect. Perfect. To be like, it's okay, little buddy. You'll get them next time. But actually, you won't. You, you're on LinkedIn and not social media because your career in basketball is going nowhere. May as well start applying. Fun, uh, fun fact here, Landers Nolly uh, in high school committed to Georgia. He then, uh, he then doubled back on that commitment, went to Virginia Tech, transferred to Memphis, and then transferred to UC. So this man had five years of eligibility and has committed to four different schools um, for those five years. So, um, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he loves UC. Um, <laughs> he's a bear Maybe try not to settle into a serious relationship with that guy, ladies. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, and then we've got one from Andre Vargas. Um, and as much research as I do, um, I got to say, Andre, I whiffed on this one. He says, who is Kilpatrick? I've got nothing. Uh, that's, um, I'm sorry, Andre. I, I'm, I'm bereft on this. And uh, for the first time, I think someone has asked us uh a question on social media and I'm just going to have to um, say I'm going to pass on this because um, like I said, I Googled it. I Googled who is Kilpatrick. Google had no answers for me. Um, I went and saw several, several uh, spiritual leaders. You know, I, I asked the Dalai Lama. I asked the Pope. Uh, nobody could tell me. So um, it's a mystery, Andre. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I think maybe if if um, one of our space probes finds intelligent life elf elsewhere in the universe, maybe some alien could answer this question. But uh, the the answer to this question cannot be found on this planet. Um, and I know that because I searched high and low 
um, scoured the earth to see who is Kilpatrick. And uh, I came up with nothing. Uh, he doesn't yeah, exist as far as I know. Doesn't sound like anybody consequential. Yeah. I got nothing on that. So uh, all that to say, very son sorry, Andre. And uh, we are refunding you the money it cost you to, to tweet that at us. We're paying your $8 this month, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's cue the theme music. All right, everybody Wang Chung tonight. Uh, Brad, uh, who is your Xavier Player of the Week? Uh, mine was Jack Nungy this week because uh, the Southeastern Louisiana game basically doesn't count. Um, it did exactly what it needed to do, which was get Xavier ready to play a real basketball team. Sorry, Southeastern Louisiana guys. Um, and Jack Nungy was great against West Virginia. Um, he was excellent defensively. He kept himself out of foul trouble. He did just about anything you could ask anybody to do, including uh, stick the bucket that gave us the lead for good. Uh, he went up against Jimmy Bell and demonstrated kind of what a complete center looks like. Um, Joe Toussaint demonstrated what a complete, uh, let's call it punk, looks like. Uh, but Jack Nungy was a complete center. Man, he did everything in this game. Six to seven from inside the arc, one for two from behind the arc. He was only two of five from the line, but he grabbed 14 boards. He blocked two shots. He had two steals. He led the team in both of those categories. He had an assist, and he only had one turnover. Absolutely excellent. Um, I know there's another really easy pick for this game, and that I'm not going to say that that one's wrong, but I think Jack Nungy did a lot of what Xavier needed, and he played 32 minutes. Um, and in a game when Xavier's only other contributing big man was Jerome Hunter, it was vital that Nungy kept himself on the floor, and he did that. And when he was on the floor, he was excellent. So he was my player of the week. Okay, uh, Braden, who do you have? I've actually got Bob Nungy for this week. Uh, I actually, I don't. Nungy um, sweet. <laughs> uh, he's not actually my player of the week, but uh, respect to Bob for getting out there and gutting it out for a minute and uh, pulling in a rebound and chucking a turnover against Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, just wanted to shout him out real quick. But actually, I've gone with Sule Boom. Um, Brad said that there's two real options this week. I'm assuming he was talking about Sule Boom. If he wasn't, no, I'm... That seems like they really... He played. Ergo. <laughs> does your no, wife you were... talk to you about this? Like, does she know how unhealthy this is? Well, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, but anyway, Sule Boom, uh, like Brad said, the Southeastern Louisiana game was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Boom still went out there, put up 15 points in 28 minutes. Uh, he didn't really try to do too much, uh, as a lot of guys do in those type games where they're just trying to get theirs. He went out there, did his thing, got out, stayed healthy for West Virginia. And boy, what a game he had. Uh, three of five from inside the arc, two of three from beyond the arc. Like I said earlier, got the line 14 times, cashed out 11 of them. Seven assists with only three turnovers um, for a guy that when he was coming in kind of more of a pure shoot first guard. Um, he's distributed pretty well so far this season and dishing out seven assists against West Virginia is impressive. Um, but I've just been impressed with how well he's played against top competition. Uh, those first few kind of tune up games, I figured he'd do well because uh, he's used to playing that level. But, you know, then we start playing Gonzaga, Duke, Indiana, and he's shown up in all of those games too <clears throat> and made some really big contributions. Um, and I'm I'm just excited to see what else he can do. He is really feeling himself right now. He's having a good year. He's shooting the ball very well. Uh, he's finally somebody who cashes out from the line, which I've been missing seeing. Uh, he, he's just having a great start to the year. I think there's only better to come, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Okay. Um, I have also gone with Sule Boom um, because I think, uh, like you guys said, um, southeastern Louisiana game bears basically no weight as I as I consider who my player of the week is um he was good but so was everyone <laughs> uh but then against West Virginia you could tell that um they really wanted to try and take him out of the game and when he picked up his third foul on 
what uh, I think we can all agree is one of just the most horrendous head up your butt offensive foul calls I've ever seen. Um, there at the end of the first half, it looked like West Virginia's plan to take him out of the game had worked. Um, but he played that second half. He dominated the game without fouling, um, despite the fact that Joe Toussaint did everything he could to try and get a foul called on Sule Boom. Um, and at the end of the game uh, was the player that, that Xavier could put the ball in his hands and know that he was going to make good decisions and, and make his free throws. Um, 23 points on eight field goal attempts is, I mean, that's insanely efficient. Um, but he had a complete game. Uh, so I, I went with uh, Sue Boom. I, I thought he was the, the best player on the floor down the stretch uh, against West Virginia. Uh, to your point about that foul call, Xavier's win probability dropped 8% on that blow of the whistle. Um, that's factoring in, obviously, what the computer would have expected Boom to play and everything going forward. Just a, a ludicrous call to make. Um, and you guys were both talking about how it seemed like he took the game over in post-game interviews and then one that Coach Miller had later in the week. He said that Boom basically came to him and said, hey, I'm not going to let us lose this game. I'm here to make sure we get this thing. I'm going to do what I can to make sure we've got it. You can trust me to keep playing. And he ended up getting 37 minutes in. So, like I said, I picked Jack Nunji, but I, you can't go wrong with Sule Boom and that game he had. I, I think it also bears shouting out Jerome Hunter. He didn't have a, mm -hmm. a real strong offensive line in either game. But that West Virginia game, um, I think he was uh, a player who really turned the tide uh, when Xavier's defensive intensity ratcheted up there toward the end. He was playing with four fouls because he's Jerome Hunter, um, and, and that's what he does. But, um, man, um, he was impressive, and, and you could tell when he was out there, everyone was more confident and active on defense. And um, so I, I think he also deserves a shout-out this week because, um, yeah, he's he's taken his fair share of criticism um, over his time at Xavier, but um, he was he was really good in that game and, and uh, played a pretty vital role. So um, our final quick hit um, – Obviously, you guys have, if you've listened, you know we're all huge uh, Guards fans. And um, the rumor is that the Guardians are closing in on a, a two-year deal with Josh Bell, um, which I am excited about because I think out of all the realistic free agent possibilities, I thought Josh Bell would probably be the one that um, would be the best fit, if for no other reason than it makes it so I don't have to think about Owen Miller ever again. Um, but what's the most excited you've ever been for an acquisition by your favorite team, Braden? Is it Josh Bell? It's not Josh Bell. It's actually not even in the baseball realm because so often uh, the Cleveland Guardians don't actually acquire players. So I'm never excited by anything they do because I don't think they're trying to win. Um, speaking of teams that I don't think are actually trying to win, my favorite club team is Borussia Dortmund. Uh, a haven for young talent to develop and then get sold uh, to Premier League teams that will eventually ruin them. But what, who I was really excited for was Jude Bellingham. Uh, he played for Birmingham City in the 1920 season before my team ended up buying him. The reason I was so excited for that is I knew he was a great player with great potential because I had bought him on football manager uh, in the edition of that game that had come out the year before. And I was like, oh man, this dude is sick. And, uh, then the rumor mill started churning out that he was having a great year in real life. And I was like, how about that? And then my favorite team bought him. Uh, he's playing very well for England in the World Cup right now. Uh, I'm not a huge England supporter, but I am a big Jude Bellingham supporter. I love watching him play. Uh, it makes me happy to see him do well. I can't wait to see where he goes in January. That's not going to play him. And he ends up just riding the pine like another guy I love named Jaden Sancho. But that's another discussion for another day. So. I'll kick it to Brad. Where it goes in January, buddy, is London on the top of a double-decker bus. It's coming no. home. No, it's probably not, but I'm trying to be Those excited until Saturday. It's going to Uruguay? They're already out. Yeah. Uruguay won the first World Cup, Brad. Yeah. They've also won more than England has, so, like, I think they have a better claim. Or Brazil. Brad, do, you know much, do you know anything about history? Argentina. <laughs> 
I get super jingoistic during international tournaments. So you're not from England. I am. True story. You were born in Zena, Ohio. That's not in yeah, England. I, that's not even the nice part of Greene County, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, there's not really a nice part of Greene County. Um, I identify as English. You can't tell me this is 2022, you haters. What is going on here? I just I accept everyone with open arms, except all of the people I hate, which is everyone else. But other than that, I accept everybody. And here you are telling me that just because my generation doesn't happen to be the one born in England, I can't be English. It's 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 I'm a little offended. If I had I think, anyone else to talk to, I would go talk to them. But I I don't. So I just like we can all agree. Thirty five years. I'll stick with you guys. We can all agree, though, we identified as Moroccan the other day, correct? Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah real hard. Yeah. Decent everywhere identified as Moroccan for at least 120 minutes. That Panenka to end that penalty kick shootout was incredible, but also probably not. We could do a World Cup podcast. Can I answer your question, Brian? Are we good for that now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mine was a Guardian signing, um, and not necessarily for the people that we signed, but just because of what it meant. Um, I think the most excited I got is when we signed uh, Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher, because to me that indicated that the team was actually going to try to win that year. Now, it came as a huge disappointment to me that both of those guys turned out to suck, but I didn't know that the day we signed them. And there was a big thing on ESPN, and it showed the graph of who had spent the most money in the offseason. And the Clevelandians were up there at the top. Um, and I was really, really excited. And then that season ended like all of our seasons have ended since I've been alive, which is not hoisting the World Series trophy. Um, because at least in a baseball sense, both Cleveland is not home and it is never coming home. But I was really, really excited about it. I think we were, were we all together? I was at mom and dad's. I think at least most of us were there. I remember Braden being in the room and we were like legitimately like, wow, we're trying to contend, but, but we didn't. <laughs> My follow-up question was who is Michael Bourne and why did we buy him? You don't, you don't buy people in baseball, buddy. Either way. I, I was like, who is this guy? Oh, he's good. Well, that's exciting. And then we, Got our butts handed to us by the Rays in that one game wild card playoff. What a September that was, though. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, this might be cheating, but I, I'm going to take you guys back to the uh, the the off season uh, prior to the 1998 baseball season. Uh, Cleveland, of course, had had just found a horrendous way to uh, end the previous season. Um, by losing in Game 7 of the World Series in extra innings um, before 19 years later losing in Game 7 of the World Series in extra innings. But uh, they did go out, uh, scour the free agent market, and signed Kenny Lofton, uh, who was my favorite player at the time, mostly because he had been awesome for the Indians for like half a decade prior to that, before they had traded him. Uh, um, before his contract year in 1997 to the Atlanta Braves. He went and played for the Braves for a year. And then uh, as soon as his contract voided, he was back on the horn to John Hart saying, um, it's coming home. Uh, Kenny Lofton is coming home and uh, uh, returned to Cleveland. I was pumped um, because, like I said, he was my favorite player. And also because he was still a pretty good player at that point. Um, although looking back, uh, they may have uh, bought a few of the Kenny Lofton years that uh, <laughs> that he started to decline at a pretty premium price, but uh, it was great to have him back. So that is uh, the most excited I've ever been for an acquisition by my favorite team um, because they were reacquiring my favorite player who had already played for them. Um, and that was kind of symmetry because when my dad was a kid, his favorite player was Rocky Colavito, who the Indians also reacquired. So, um, Braden, I think it's only a matter of time till they bring back Joe Inglet. <laughs> oh, we've we have hit new lows if we go to that point. But man, 
what a nice guy. Signed my glove. Like, dapped me up and everything. What a man. If only he were good at baseball. That would have been awesome. I think probably Joe Inglet was excited to meet you. <laughs> Most likely. He was probably like, what, I have a fan? This is awesome. <laughs> I tuned in one game one time, and he got a big hit. One of probably one that he remembers because he had so few. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this this guy is the best. Inglet, you say? Yeah, MVP. Anyway, so uh, that is it for us this week. Obviously, uh, we all look forward to the Crosstown shootout. So um, we will be back with you guys next week, recapping what is hopefully a fourth straight win in the Crosstown shootout for Xavier. Um, we hope you guys uh, enjoy the game, and uh, we will catch you next week. Thank you.